Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN, which is CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And today's topic is maintaining a healthy company culture. And our guest for today's show is Jay Farrow, who is the CIO with the American Cancer Society. Hi, Jay. How are you? Hey, Sanjog. How are you? Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. So life is good? Life is great. No complaints. Not enough hours in the day, but uh, who doesn't have that same complaint, right? Yeah, tell me about that. So today's topic is around um, the organization or a company culture. And when we talk about it, there are so many different definitions people have. But bottom line seems to be that you have a set of shared values within uh, within the organization, which everyone in the company shares. Everyone, how they come together to get it, the work done individually and as a team and eventually deliver value to the people who may be customers internally or externally. We have spoken about healthy culture in context of many other challenges or initiatives people want to take on. And they say, oh, if we have a healthy culture, it's going to result in this and or it's going to support it. But the focus here today is to talk about what does it take to first build and then maintain a healthy company culture. So, so in order for us to get at least the definition straight, what do you think, uh, Jay, in your view, is a healthy organizational culture, and is it supposed to be or is it subjective? I, I think there are common, what a terrific question. I think there are common traits no matter what type of organization you're in. Uh, I mean, certainly depending on industry, depending on the type of business it is, there are nuances, but I think there, in my opinion anyway, there are tried and true qualities that any healthy corporate culture will have. I think it starts with an inspired um, and shared mission, and I don't say that only because we're at the American Cancer Society, uh, and ours is a fairly clear mission, but even in my, in my for-profit days at you know, AIG and, and other organizations, we had Sh- we had shared goals and in a shared mission. Uh, I, I think there's, you know, it has to start at the top and it has to permeate the entire organization. I think you run into big challenges when it's not at the top and you're trying to create it only bottom up. Uh, I think other qualities, you know, revolve around accountability, transparency, uh, a commitment to uh, healthy failure. I, I think a commitment to open and, and um, honest collaboration and, um, you know, just a couple of others. I think no matter what organization, a healthy culture is going to embody some of those, uh, some of those qualities. And when you're looking at an organization which is supposed to go onto that track where it is unhealthy to healthy, what are the gaps that you think ought to be filled in order for us to say, okay, now we are moving at least in the right direction? Because you can always say we are healthy, but then there could be minor gaps, but then there could be gaping holes as well. So going from an unhealthy to a healthy, what are those specific things that would be would have to be changed? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the specific journey we took in at the American Cancer Society, you know, three little three and a half years ago when I took over a very large IT organization supporting 13 independent divisions and doing many of the things we were doing. We were embarking on a big global transformation to become one unified ACS. 
IT was very disenfranchised. IT was um, very siloed. It was not thought of. Uh, my, my old boss, our retired CEO, looked at me and said, Jay, IT is a four-letter word in this organization. And, you know, now go get them. And um, you know, that, uh, I just kind of stared blankly at him for a second and smiled. And it always starts with culture. And it, it, IT had been beaten down. Um, much of its fault was on its own, uh, you know, was, was laid at its own feet. We were not a transparent organization. We were not a collaborative organization. We spent way too much time dealing with lights-on activity. But that was a result of an organization that was not healthy. And it had uh, all the bad traits that you would think of, um, you know, fiefdoms, uh, turf wars, uh, failure was fatal, all of these things. So it started with me coming in and, you know, A, hiring the right leaders, but also B, modeling the behavior that I expected. And that's easy to say for a leader and say, look, I expect transparency. I expect all of these things from you and then walk away and become this, you know, this kind of man on top of the mountain. I think you have to model it. So what does that mean? It means literally I have an open door policy unless I'm in a, you know, exclusive meeting. Anybody can approach me. We put in communicate very specific communication vehicles. We pushed down decision rights to, to lower parts of the organization. We empowered people to make decisions and tolerated, you know, positive failure. We, we uh, you know, had open and honest discussions about what was working, what isn't. I, you, people around this organization have heard me say a thousand times, if the baby is ugly, we're going to tell the organization the baby's ugly, but we're going to follow it up with a plan on how we're going to fix that. And over time, when people realized that, you know, it was going to stick, because at first people are like, okay, is this a bait and switch? Is he just doing this to find out who the troublemakers are? Uh, you know, the culture began to change. And part of it was a bi-directional feedback. I mean, surveys from outside of IT, surveys from within IT, what's working, what's not, and then testing that along the way. And I feel like we've made great progress, but it's been very deliberate. It has not just been, um, you know, luck at all. So do you divide and conquer when it comes to, say, fixing or, or building a company culture? I think you have to. No one person can do it. I mean, I can sit there and, and you know, pound my head against the wall. I, 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 you've heard me say, Sanjog, you've heard me say before that, you know, no person is an island, and we, we know it takes a village. I know you believe that. So it was very early on I partnered with our organizational development team outside of IT. I partnered with talent strategy, you know, human resources. I partnered with corporate communications to help put in more robust communication vehicles in and out of IT. Uh, I hired the right vice presidents and senior vice presidents in my organization that had the same passion. They're not clones, believe me. They, they, these are, uh, this is a very diverse, both in thought and in background group that is empowered to speak up. I don't want yes men or yes women working for me, and not one of my direct reports is ever fearful of telling me that I'm wrong about something. Uh, and it, it's ended up that we, you know, we are a far stronger team because of that. So I absolutely have to divide and conquer and trust my lieutenants uh, to, to take the message forward. And they have to trust theirs. I mean, their, their time is limited, too. So it, and um, I'll tell you a, a real quick story about I built a group called the IT Code Champions, and we have, an, we have a code that we live by. And it was put in when I first joined, 
And IT code stands for Integrity, Teamwork, Communication, Ownership, Dynamic, and Excellence. This was not created by me. This was created at the grassroots level. I picked somebody from every organization within IT, uh, deliberately not executives, and said, what do we represent? What can people hold us accountable to? And what can you hold me accountable to? And we have code champions, people at, on the front lines that are the voice, kind of the voice of our IT organization. And they, they meet with me monthly and let me know how things are going. They're empowered to, to be very frank with me, uh, as is everybody in the organization. And it's been extremely powerful. And it's also been a great group because uh, we reward, we have a Spirit of Excellence Award, and it is selected by the code champions. So it's a very real, meaningful thing, and it's been a terrific vehicle for uh, culture change. So when you came in and before that, there were others who may be running the shop the way they thought the best it is, because nobody comes right. with a bad intention. But then it was still having those issues which you were asked to come and fix it. Right. Why did anyone listen to you versus listening to the people before you? What a great question. I, I, I think any new leader is going to have a bit of a honeymoon period. Um, I, I think, you know, after the first 90 days, your honeymoon, your honeymoon unless you're doing something positive, is, is going to be over quickly, especially as a CIO, because you're coming in to fix all the problems. I don't know that any CIO, or very rarely does a CIO take over, and they're telling you, you know, gosh, the guy before you was just so terrific. And I happen to know my predecessor. I know uh, he's a man of integrity and, and did his best to, to, to in, you know, uh, in the way he thought was the best for the American Cancer Society. Uh, I think, you know, maybe we needed a different voice. Um, my, my, I'm a firm believer in servant leadership, so I think one of the reasons they listened to me was that I admitted everything was wrong. I admitted what we were doing wrong, and I was very transparent about how we were going to fix it. But I didn't pass it off on, you know, well, it was the other guy. I mean, certainly there were lessons learned there, but I own it, you know, and my team owns it, and we're going to fix it. And we have a relentless uh, dedication to customer service. Um, I tell my folks, you know, I tell our, our folks internally, we want to delight you, whether that's a, a laptop issue, all the way to a multi-million dollar you know, ERP implementation. We want everybody to be delighted. And I think over time, when you're consistent as a leader, you earn that credibility. So I, I think we've earned trust. At first, I think they, you know, you're new, they give it to you. And then uh, you've got to earn it every day. You, you've heard the saying that... Uh, you know, success is a, is a lease. You can never really own it. You've got to earn it every day. You've got to pay the rent every day. How do you get over this issue where everyone, or not everyone, some of them would carry ego on their shoulder or become cocky, or they would get so consumed with their own idea that they're not willing to listen to others, they're not receptive to other people? How do you introduce humility in the organization? So, yes, even if you demonstrate humility, but there are still people out there who would, who would not fundamentally, they've never done that before. Right. And even though you model that behavior, they will not suddenly say, oh my God, Jay is the best guy I've ever, I ever worked for, so let me change my core DNA. Well, I can promise you they don't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I hope, that, I hope some, somebody does every now and then. But uh, yeah, no, uh, it does start with modeling, but you're right. It, that, that is not enough to change behavior. I think you... You have to be very prescriptive and very clear about what your leadership qualities, the, the leadership qualities that you're expecting of your folks. In, in, in some ways, this is where the code 
you know, the I in, in our IT code integrity comes in. We're very deliberate that we deliver in a moral and ethical way. And part of that is becoming, you know, being a, a, a leader with humility. And, you know, I, I think once you build a, a positive corporate or company culture, those people are either changed or they, they are moved out. They become, you, you get to the point where they just will not tolerate it because so many people around them are, are kind of leading the right way and the people won't tolerate it. So uh, I think it also goes, uh, starts with very frank discussions and with a boss and his or her employees saying, look, these are the behaviors that I expect. The way you are being perceived is arrogant. The way you are being perceived is as a know-it-all and inflexible. Those aren't, the, those aren't the, the, the leadership qualities that we want in this organization. The one thing I'll say is that, and uh, you've heard me say this before, Sanjog, it's if you can't change people, you change people. And, you know, I think everybody in our organization gets a chance to improve. Everybody is given the benefit of the doubt. But over time, you've got to, you've, got to get rid of the poison, uh, no, no pun intended. You've got to cut the cancer out uh, as quickly as you can. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back. So while we spoke about humility, there's another thing to be said about, uh, okay, we are working in a not-for-profit organization. It's got a great mission. But the reason I came here is because I would want to have more vacations or I want to not exactly work less, but I want a comfortable life. But then, if you want to build a culture where everybody's enthusiastic, they're all excited to come over, they should be doing the right things versus just some, somehow trying to get the job done and also pursue excellence, which requires them to stretch themselves. So how do you, on one hand, at the hiring, at the, at the time when you're hiring, you're promising that, okay, this is a not-for-profit, so you will not have the pressures, because that has been seen in at least in other places that you will you'll get a more work-life balance versus working crazy hours but at the same time when you want to build a culture of excellence and of of that that healthy company culture there are some dues to be paid so is that a bait and switch how do you make sure that people eventually get to that newer mode of thinking where they're doing the right things and they continuously pursue excellence please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back and explore Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. So we have had uh, scenarios or, or maybe environments where the the precedence was set or some expectations were set at the time when they were hired that the reason you should join here, perhaps take a less salary or or you, the, the very reason you should even come and work for us, we may not have the, the biggest budgets, for example, but then we have better work-life balance. And that at least has been touted by many, many either government organizations and or not-for-profits. And I'm just kind of laying this out for you. When the people come in, you want them to also work well together. You want them to do the right things, and then you want them to pursue excellence. Because And, and when you try to do that, not everything can be accomplished within that that comfort of, of what you will, where, where there is no so-called deadlines, etc. So how do you build a culture where people are not thinking comfort over excellence? What, it's a great question, and I, and I think a lot of nonprofits or perhaps government institutions probably struggle with that. I know from coming in from the outside, I probably felt that way a little bit. Where I was coming here because of you know the certainly the the, the mission and the personal connection to the mission. Um, I, lo- I enjoyed the size and scale of American Cancer Society, and uh, the challenge was particularly interesting to me. Um, I will say this, I am of the firm belief that the best way to serve a mission and the best way to become successful at delivering a mission, especially when you're trying to save lives from cancer, is to, is to be a more aggressive and a harder working IT organization. So, you know, if you want to work 35 hours a week and if, and if you want a, quote, better work-life balance, uh, this is probably not the IT shop for you. I think we pay fairly well. Um, I will say what I walked into was more of that. Uh, what we have today is we have a very hardworking organization that's very passionate both about their their craft, IT, but also about our mission. Um, and it can't just be about Jay's personality or Jay walking up and down the hall saying, you know, great job team, although that's part of it. It's got to be real. So, we, you know, I really, really wanted this to be a, a destination of choice for IT professionals all around the country because, you know, we're a pretty big, uh, pretty big group. Um, and what does that mean? Well, I mean, we had to have many of the same things that a for-profit has. Now, I don't have a lot of, I don't have, you know, the, the big variable comp or options, that kind of thing, but I have a terrific culture. We have great technologies. You know, we have training programs. We have a lot of fun along the way. And, and I think A players want to be in an environment where they're asked to be excellent. And, you know, if I can pay them 80%, 90% of what a for-profit is paying them, and they're in just a warm, welcoming, hardworking, fun environment that's doing some pretty cool things to keep their skills sharp, I'm going to get a lot of people. And our turnover is fairly low uh, compared to most organizations. And so I, I think we're doing a pretty good job of, of being relevant and being a, a destination and, and showing people that they can, uh, you know, that they can come here and continue to grow. Because IT people, you know, we, you know this as well as I do, we have to keep our skills sharp. We like new challenges. Um, now, if we were an organization that wasn't doing cool things with social, mobile, you know, big data, uh, cloud technologies, et cetera, I, I could see us having more of a challenge. But uh, luckily, we're doing some pretty cool things in all of those arenas that attract top talent. Um, but I, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, look, you're, you're serving people who, you know, you're trying to prevent people from getting cancer, serve people who have cancer, support families, 
you know, fighting for cures, research dollars, all of those things. The way we do that is by being excellent, not by being a bunch of C players who are looking for the easy life. The way we do that is by modeling best practices of for-profit, non-profit. So a lot of my leadership team came in from the outside. Um, I, I have people from the financial services. I came from fintech and healthcare. Uh, you know, I have people that have been at Goldman. People have been at, you know, CompuCredit and many other large organizations. Um, Coca-Cola and many others who are here now because we're building a, a team dedicated to excellence, but for a higher purpose. When we look at an organization which is requiring transformation, mm-hmm. it could very well get ugly before it'll get better. Yes, and, for sure. And for that, especially when, suppose I take the context of your organization, how much immunity that's offered to the people, the leadership, the very team, the very organization, that they could make mistakes, they could do experimentation, and they can work in a mindset where we take, we embrace crisis, we convert into opportunity and even experiment more because the end goal is is to turn into something which you're proud of. Now, all along, all this, the whole journey that may be happening within your department or in a, in a sub, uh, a smaller portion of the organization may not be objectively looked upon favorably by the leadership, the overarching leadership, because they're saying, oh my God, uh, American Cancer Society, we've got a great mission. We cannot afford to have negative PR because our donor dollars are dependent on it. How do you balance the two and how do you get or how do you safeguard that overarching goal of maintaining a positive image, but also behind the scenes, it could be all the ugliness that someone can imagine, but for the right reasons, because you're transforming the organization. That, that's right. And, and we, we were the first group to transform. So as ACS, a nearly 100-year-old organization at the time, was embarking on this transformation, you knew you had to break some eggs. Uh, you, you start with the end in mind, you know, with the goals of becoming a more nimble, responsive, relevant, and uh, impactful organization. So you've got to get that message clear that we are doing this not for the sake of change. We're doing this to be better and, and, and serve the mission better and more effectively. And that's really the same in IT is telling that story. To, you, you've got to be very clear that we may take a dip, and you've seen the change curve, and you know that, you know, where the valley of despair is and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's where true leaders are, are, I think, are made or can show their stuff, is that you can weather the storm. Uh, you know, when you start shining the light of transparency on an organization, when you start holding people accountable, when you become metrics-driven, when you become, um, you know, an organization that is, is holding each other accountable, uh, and moving at a far faster pace, you're going to lose some people, and that tends to, to maybe cause a ripple effect where people have uncertainty because what they had before was just a culture where I could kind of come in, do my thing, go home, and nobody ever made waves. I raise my hand, and it gets shot off, so I'm just going to kind of keep to myself. And, I, you know, we ended up losing some people. I, one gentleman came in and said, this isn't, you know, what I signed up for. And what he had signed up for was just you know, to kind of put in his 35, 37 hours and, and go home. And that's fine. Look, you've got to know your own limitations. I'm not, you know, I want folks who are passionate about what they do, but passionate for the organization. So, it, it, you know, but they've got to have that North Star, 
right? And the North Star is to become a more relevant and impactful organization. So in those times of turmoil, in those times of, of oh, gosh, are we doing the right thing? Uh, oh, gosh, we just lost Don Sanjog, and he was terrific. That you can still point and go, you know what, guys? We're doing the right thing for the constituents of the American Cancer Society. And we're going to stick to our guns, and we're going to become the most relevant and impactful organization uh, you know, in the, in the country in the, in the battle against cancer in the world. So um, that's the approach we've took. It's been successful. It has not been without bruises um, along the way uh, and, you know, pain and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But, uh, you know, I, we're out of the valley of despair and, you know, we're, we're getting better each week. And, you know, one of the better traits or I would say the highlights of any healthy uh, company culture is that people work with clarity or they would seek clarity before they'll get started with something. And along the way, if there's any confusion or some fuzziness, they would like to get clarity before they charge ahead. And then they want transparency at all levels. And then finally, of course, honesty. These things, it's, it's the intent is there, but somewhere it gets lost. So it's not perhaps the people's DNA, which is to be fundamentally changed. It is, it is something else. So let's define what that something else is, which makes people dishonest or they are inconsistent or they not purposely put it fuzzy, but they don't seek clarity. What, what, is, what, what causes all of that and how do you get rid of those? Well, I mean, I, first of all, you've got to hire right, naturally. Uh, and I, I think, again, you know, going back to kind of the light of transparency and being very clear about what you expect of people. And I think we say that, but it, it really, you know, you, you, for the listeners, it, it, it comes around very clear goals, very clear expectations, not only of the work that you're doing, you know, Project X, Project Initiative Y, Metric Z, but also the leadership qualities that you expect of everybody. And that's not Jay Farrow or just my, you know, my senior executive team. That's everybody, including you know, client services, help desk, uh, you know, support, everybody. I want everybody to model that behavior. And there, becomes a, there, there hits a tipping point if you're doing things the right place where more often than not you have employees that believe in that and they will not tolerate dishonesty and inconsistency. And suddenly they, those folks become the outlier and they become very uncomfortable in the organization, and they either move out or they're, they're moved out. Um, like I said earlier, you've got to kind of get that cancer out or you know, get that poison out of the system very early on. Um, the other way you do it, it's not just about you know, beating the, the, the stick. It, it's about showing folks that the right way to work with clarity, transparency, honesty, dependability, and all of these things is rewarded. So those, the folks who embody those traits who are successful are the ones who are getting the great projects, the ones who are getting promoted in the opportunities. Those are the ones who are continuing to grow in their career path. So, you know, there's a couple ways to approach it, but we've tried to do both. Uh, we've tried to do both. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's talk about how to build a collaboration and, and collaboration, not only just, okay, people are talking to each other on everything, but everyone has an eye on the castle that they want to build versus their individual bricks that they're laying. That means to have a holistic thinking, one goal that they are pursuing. How do you develop and integrate people into such teams? That's what we're going to explore when we come back. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So in order for us to be able to move ahead as a unit... You know, like that swarm uh, formula where a, a swarm of ants would find their way from one direction to another, where everyone is talking to each other, but they know which direction they're going. How do we develop that mindset and, and those, those uh, collaboration processes, if you will, so that these teams are wor- working together, but they have a holistic thinking and everyone is sharing the same? Yeah, you know, it's... It's tough, especially when you have a team that's spread out all over. I mean, it's, there are you know, very tactical things that you can do. It's not pragmatic, especially at a nonprofit, to fly people in all the time and have these, these JAD sessions or these big collaborative you know, work sessions. It's not a tremendous use of donor dollars. Uh, you have to do it every now and then, certainly. And I, I would expect anybody who donates to assume that you know, they want a, a high-functioning team and there are certain things you, you have to do. But we're very mindful of of, uh, of our expenses, so we find other ways to do it. You know, whether it's you know um, video conferencing, we certainly you know are, are using other ways to collaborate. Yammer and many other tools. So we're very active on our on internal social media, and you know, part of it is, is just being very very clear about the outcomes, whether it's of, of, uh, as a project on a project rather or uh, the overall goals of the organization. So, I mean, being very clear with everybody in IT about what my CIO goals are and how they are tied to the overall mission and goals of my CEO, who is my boss, and the American Cancer Society, and how they fit into that. And building that, that accountability that, gosh, in order for me to be successful, I have to work with you know, Steve next to me, and, you know, I, in, in the past I may have been punished for coming out of my, my lane, but now I'm encouraged. In fact, if anything, you're, you're disincented to not do that. So you're building this culture of raising your hand and reaching out and, and, and uh, asking, each other, asking each other for help. We... we we wear a lot of hats. We're a fairly big organization. We're not big enough to do everything and have everybody have one set of responsibilities. I don't know that any IT organization is that way anymore. And what I mean by that is everybody is working on multiple projects. They have multiple roles or at least nuanced roles. And that means you have to collaborate in order to be successful. Um, so I, I think all of those things, and I, you know, again, going back to modeling Sanjoke, I have to collaborate with my peers. So one of the ways we, we also just kind of model that behavior is I bring in people from other departments, whether it's marketing, digital, 
uh, which is really more of a hybrid group with us in marketing, uh, cancer control, our uh, advocacy arm. And I bring in all of these groups to work with us, and they share our space on certain projects. Uh, they educate the entire IT staff on what's going on so that we feel more connected and fearless when it comes to reaching out. Um, it takes time. I mean, especially when you're, you're trying to fix a culture where collaboration was not the norm. It, it, it honestly, it's, it's, it actually opened my eyes to sometimes how much at time it takes to get to some people. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a process, right? It's, it, it never cha- it, you, you never really stop doing it. So the way you, you mentioned uh, you, your response was great, and one thing you mentioned is that it takes a lot of time. And frankly, I'm not sure if people are not able to do it because they want to get it done yesterday. Is that what you think the people make as mistakes when they try to change their culture, that they're trying to rush through it? I think so. I, I think they, they feel like, I think many executives, and I've seen it at other companies, where didn't you get the memo, right? I said, we're changing our culture, dang it, and... Read the memo. That's our new culture. And <laughs> okay. that, I'm not sure that exactly is a recipe for success. I, I, I think it does take time. I will say there are people that get it immediately. You know, we're human beings. We're all very, very different. Um, I think as leaders, you kind of have to have a, a line in the sand for certain roles where, you know, we do have aggressive goals. We do have aggressive targets. And, you know, I don't have time for multi-year reclamation projects. So it does force you to have some tough decisions where if some people won't come along, you might have to you know, manage them out of the organization or, or, or make a change. And that's always hard. I don't say that glibly at all. But um, I, I think a lot of people feel like if I hand out a bunch of management books, if I have a quarterly meeting talking about culture uh, and they don't make it part of the fabric or the DNA of the organization, it's going to fail. Uh, you know, you, you just go back to your regularly scheduled program. It's got to become woven into everything that you do so that the way you are successful in the group is by modeling the collaborative behavior, that it's really hard to, not be, it's really hard to be successful if you're not collaborating. Uh, and I think we've gotten to a point now where if you're not a collaborative guy or, you know, a lady, if you're not a collaborative IT professional, then you're going to struggle big time because people are going to come to you and uh, they're going to ask for help. Uh, they're going to expect you to proactively ask for help and not wait to be knighted. Uh, and that takes time. Um, but, you know, it, it's absolutely worth all that, the, the effort. Now, when you do talk about uh, the people who are supposed to change, one right. is to try to expect change from outside in, but people change from inside out. What is your way to get into their own needs of success, satisfaction, and smiles for you to be able to really understand what would be the trigger points? Is it that right. mass personalization approach that's going to work or, or something else? Well, partly. I, I, I think partly that, that has, that, it's a great point uh, about mass personalization. Um, we do a lot of, uh, we have a bunch of different feedback mechanisms that our talent strategy group has helped us with. We, we joke that we're kind of the guinea pig for any new organizational development or a organizational design model that comes out where if it's a way to get a little more efficiency or collaboration out of our team, we're willing to take it on and at least try it 
And that includes me and my leadership team, by the way. We're, you know, we're not immune. This isn't us from on high saying, let's go do this. We're, we're the ones in there learning how to work together and becoming a, a higher functioning team. You know, but, you know, part of it is just listening. You know, I talked about the IT co-champions, and you don't certainly have to create a formal construct like that, but you've got to have total transparency where people at all levels feel comfortable uh, communicating what's motivating them. So we've, we just had a, uh, uh, an engagement study we did at the, the middle of the year. We're looking through those results. And what we're looking for is, are we hitting our targets in terms of the way folks are engaged or not engaged in their work at ACS? And we found some opportunities. We found some opportunities where we thought we were doing a pretty good job. And it turns out there, there, there are some opportunities to get better, maybe being a little bit better about career pathing, being a little, you know. And, and I think leaders have to have humility. And you have to be able to put yourself in in the shoes of your frontline and midline staff and say, you know what, I'm hearing this over and over again. This is important to them. I have to respect that. And we're going to be really, really aggressive about improving this area. So um, you're not going to reach everybody, though. I mean, I, I, it, it, my team has heard me say this. I'm like, look, I am not, I mean, if I hit 90, 95% of the organization and they're all on board, you're always going to have an element in your group that's going to complain no matter what. Uh, you're always going to have an element that's never happy. Uh, hopefully you can root them out or change them. But, uh, you know, if I have in the upper nine, <laughs> mid-upper 90s, I'm feeling pretty good. So when we talk healthy, we also talk resilient. Yep. And if you were to introduce resilience into an organization where people are not just showing their model behavior and or you know, working well with each other, etc. only when the life is good or, or things are flowing smoothly, but also when you are faced with uncertainty and, um, you know, some turbulence. That's where a family is what I refer to is to say a family comes together when it's a time of uncertainty. So does did it ever become a family? This is the, the, the testing times is what tell you. So how Absolutely. do you introduce that? resilience or how do you work at the making them healthy to the core so that they automatically come together as a unit and fight together when there are some issues that's a, that's a, a, a terrific point because it's it's real easy to be a leader in the good times isn't it i mean you you know when things are going well nothing's down there are no changes it's easy to to pull people together over lunch and say man we're a good team look at that all the lights are green um and it's when they start turning yellow and red is when you, you know, are really, really tested. Uh, three, four years ago, I'm not sure that I would have said I want to be in the trenches with, you know, a whole lot of the, the, in the structure that we had. Because I think there was a lot of fear in the organization, a fear of trying things, uh, fear of failure, uh, fear of, you know, uh, of solutioning. And today, I, I would absolutely stake my career on my, my team. And it's not because of me. It's because of the fact that these folks came out of their shells and know that we have a job to do, um, are not afraid to bring ideas, are not afraid to be on the phone at 3 in the morning, uh, are not really you know, uh, disrupted when a new project request or something. It, it, it's, and, and part of that is, A, transparency around when things come in and all of our processes, but B, 
from the top down and the bottom up, showing folks that, look, change is inevitable. Things are going to be thrown at us. Systems are going to go down. New projects are going to come in. And even beyond IT, you know, as the rest of the organization transforms, showing them that we still have a North Star, we still have a job to do, we're still dedicated, uh, and leaders in those times have to be visible. So I encourage CIOs and VPs and executives, really at any level, in those tough times, you have got to be visible. You have got to be heard. You've got to be in the trenches. Believe me, you don't want me writing any code anymore, but I can sure as heck go buy pizzas. Um, and I, I, you know, you, you've got to walk, walk with them. And I, I think a lot of folks are just afraid to do that. And um, what that does is it builds camaraderie. It builds uh, a team spirit. And um, I think, and I, and I work at it every day, and I believe me, I'm not where I want to be, but I feel like we're at an organization where we have each other's back. Uh, but the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, you, when, when things go down and, you know, it, it hits the fan, uh, do we rally together? Um, so it's a combination of all of those things. It's a combination of leadership, making sure you're visible. It's a combination of rewarding that behavior, celebrating it so that when it does happen, you as a CIO or you as a senior executive, call it out. Say, hey, you know what? Kudos to Sanjog and his team. We had this issue pop up. And I want everybody to know how great this was, about how great he was and his team were to, to pull together and solve this issue. Thank you. You know, and are you as a willing leader, are you willing to walk around and say thank you? Look somebody in the eye and say, hey, thank you for doing that. You rock. Can't do it without you. And uh, I think that's supremely important. I mean, that's how you build a tough team that is resilient. Um, and, uh, you know, I always tell people, don't come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions. And I don't care how stupid it is. I don't care how off the wall it is. You walk into a room with me, and, and you're going to tell me some bad news or things are changing. Tell me how we're going to handle it. And, you know, at first that was tough. People are like, oh, God, I don't want to give the old man a bunch of stuff here, and he's going to think I'm an idiot. You know, it, I said, look, man, throw it at me. No dumb ideas. You're smarter than I am at what you do, I promise. Let's talk realism for a second. Um, in fact, I'll just introduce the concept and we'll come back from the break and continue discussing. So realism is where, on one hand, you want to be like having a bunch of Steve Jobs in your company who are able to <laughs> innovate, right? And at the same time, you also don't want something which is a pie in the sky so that something gets delivered and that's what gives you and everybody else the, the confidence that we can do things. And you don't want to shut down those Steve Jobs either. What's the way for you to build a culture where both of those areas coexist but in a healthy balance? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global 
Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So we, I, I wanted to set the stage for realism. So you could have a bunch of Steve Jobs in there who actually would think totally out of the box, and that's what you also need. At the same time, you want realism so certain things get done. How do you how do you build both of them as part of building a healthy culture? Because you need both. Well, I mean, it's. I think everybody envisions their IT organization as being a bunch of innovators and you know wearing black turtlenecks and coming up with these ideas that are going to. And certainly, you want to encourage that. You want that independent thought. You want that off the wall creativity. Um, but there's a job to do. Uh, there is a. You know, our, our job as an overall organization is to end pain and suffering from cancer, and we do that a lot of different ways. We do that through, obviously, raising the funds that fuel our research and that fuel our mission programs and our, our patient services. And there are hundreds of systems and thousands of employees and tens of thousands of constituents that are all very dependent on us and what we do. So we take that very seriously. But you can, you can support them you know, in a number of different ways. One, just the core blocking and tackling of, of providing a great user experience, making sure that the folks in all across the country uh, can do their jobs every day with a minimum of, of friction and a minimum of pain and suffering. And, but at the same time, I think there's, a, there's an understanding that we're honestly looking at new ideas in fresh ways. So, and one way we've done it is we've, we've carved out dedicated time. Um, I think there's, uh, there's an ex- well, there is an expectation in our performance uh, process about innovation. Uh, it, you know, part of it about building a transparent and flat culture is that there are no wild ideas that are too crazy to talk about. And many of the innovations that we've rolled out are, are because of that, where we allow our folks to tinker and we allow our folks to do that. They have to keep things moving. They have to maintain their project responsibilities. Uh, we're certainly not big enough to have a big innovation center. I don't know that that's a great use of donor dollars, but uh, we have such a passionate IT group that they've carved off time where they can tinker. And so if you look at some of our mobile capabilities that we have today, that in 2016 they're going to get any better, even better. If you look at a lot of the stuff we're doing with data and analytics, that's both helping research and our operations. Uh, those are the results of people thinking more like a Steve Jobs um, and a result of people tinkering. So we reward it, we incent it, we celebrate it. Um, you talked about smiles earlier, and I, I think that's so important. I, I mean... I, I think leaders, and especially IT leaders, who are notorious for you know being introverts or whatever, and I don't know if that's a fair 
you know, uh, a fair characterization today as it was maybe years ago, but it's certainly still applicable. Letting folks know that uh, that that you see them and and that you're happy and and that uh, I've, I've you know I think is uh, is very very important. But you know, I I, I think people will gravitate toward the behavior that uh, that that is rewarded and incented. I mean, if you make it hard for them, they're not going to do it. And if you look and go, yeah, that's not your job. Why are you doing that? They're, they're going to stop doing it. You can't do it. You've got to reward it and incent it um, and just be very clear about what they're accountable for. Say, look, if you're supposed to build three widgets and you're building three or four widgets and you can still do this, absolutely, let's talk about it. So we created a small, you know, kind of quick win program where we have these short, sharp pieces of work. And we've had hundreds of ideas and we have, uh, we've wrapped some rigor and some process around it, uh, not enough to slow it down but enough to, to make it meaningful uh, and measurable. And we've had dozens of improvements that have come, and they've all benefited, by the way. They've all benefited our, our folks in the field and uh, our folks, uh, our constituents. So you've got to be very deliberate with it. Now, we speak about the leaders come, they transform the organization, perhaps uh, build a great culture. But what happens? How do you leave a legacy uh, after you've left, because you do not want this to become a sign curve in terms of the culture uh, health check if somebody were to perform from one leader leaving to another coming and then off and on. How do you, how do you, how do you maintain uh, resilience of a culture, if that's what I have to call it? So that right. it, you don't, yeah. No, that's a great point, Sanjog. You don't want a cult of personality where it's just about Jay Farrow and, or just about Sanjog and, and, or just about anybody else. Um, you want it to be an organizational culture, not a culture of you know, this one individual. And sometimes when you get a, a very, you know, um, I don't know, charismatic or you know, powerful leader, sometimes that, that happens. But I, I, I hire people that are you know, way smarter than I am and dedicated as dedicated, as passionate, and on fire. Uh, and I, I expect that they will build their organizations the same way. Um, I'm the least important, you know, part of the leadership team. I promise you that. I, I don't, don't tell my boss that because I, I still need my paycheck, Sanjo. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think leaders who are, are humble recognize that, that, you know, it's not all about you that you're creating a, an organizational culture, not a culture around just you and your personality. Um, so hiring smart, putting in processes and metrics that incent the right behavior, measuring them, communicating them, celebrating them, actively rooting out the weeds in your garden, right? Making sure that, uh, that you identify them quickly and, and pull them out when necessary. You put those in place, and you know you have a very robust succession plan. I think you can do it. I, I think it's very doable. Um, and you know, I uh, I know it is in my case. I, I have you know two or three people that work for me uh, that uh, you know could easily take my job in the not too distant future. If you were to appeal to the leadership, which may be non-technology or suppose you are, you are being given the a responsibility of turning around the culture, what support uh, that you need as a leader to make that happen? Yeah, you know, great, great question. It, it, it's, you know, 
it's very tough to change a culture in a department or a function when the rest of the organization is, is perhaps not that way. Uh, I think different groups within ACS are at different levels of maturity. Uh, I'm proud that in many ways IT has been a leader in some of them and others. You know, we were playing catch-up. I, um, you know, I, I needed, I am not an OD or organizational design expert or organizational development expert, so leaning on very, very good folks in my organization, bouncing ideas off of them, and all of that is absolutely critical uh, to success. Being clear with my boss, my, I mean, our CEO, Gary Reedy, I mean, he knows what the IT code is. He knows that he has to hold me accountable to that. That, you know, at the end of the year, I'm going to get feedback from my team based on if I'm embodying the spirit, you know, uh, of what we're trying to do. And he has to hold me accountable. As a matter of fact, at the, our last spirit of excellence, he gave out the award. Uh, so getting him involved and seeing firsthand how important the culture is to IT uh, was critical. And I think a lot of CIOs don't take advantage of that. It is super meaningful when a CEO of a big organization or any organization is handing you, a frontline staffer, an award for excellent customer service. That's pretty powerful. And so involving them and, and showing them that they're uh, just as important as you are to the success, I, I think, is, is absolutely key. So it, 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 um, even if you look at my leadership meetings uh, on a weekly basis, I have certainly a direct report meeting, but I have a broader leadership meeting and that includes my talent strategy partner. That includes my OD partner. They are ancillary or adjunct members of my leadership team. They see it all. There's no, well, we're not going to talk about this in front of you. They see it all because I can't be successful without them. So I'm sitting there with PMO and finance and talent and, and you know, digital and all these other folks who technically are dotted line to me but are not, you know, my, my direct reports. Uh, but... They operate as, as very important, equally as important members of my team. And it sends the message that we are 100% transparent. And we cannot do it without you. I could not do it without the terrific partners I have outside of IT. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Jay, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can be built in, in a way where they, they enjoy a healthy culture and that helps them in productivity and innovation and overall well-being for everyone combined. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Sanjog. It's always great to chat with you and I appreciate the opportunity and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. Thank you so much, Jay. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>